0: ammunition whatever it takes to get you on your journey as you push through and grind through behind the grind let's go And we back, and we back, listen, we're back here on Behind the Grind, and I'm so glad that you're back with us. Listen, we say it each week, it's our goal to bring you real conversations from real people like you and I that are about their grind. And oh, by the way, my name is Sherrod Schuler, and I'm so glad that you're with us again. Hey, this week we are sharing a conversation that I had with the bougie Pinker, right? Her name is Raquel and she is doing a phenomenal thing with her brand where she is helping women millennial women she's helping them uh build up their finances deal with money uh build that relationship with money all of that good stuff and she's got a rocking brand that is helping people all about money she's making money uh cool again right you know some of us we love money we love to get it but sometimes we can't manage it we can't maintain it we let's just be real sometimes we want to buy that nice thing over really taking care of the things that we need to do and so in our conversation today, uh, me and the bougie banker, we discuss, you know, real talk, right? Things that really happened and some things that even happened in her life that really transformed her into this bougie banker that really helped her uh, gain control, clarity, Uh, of her own finances where she's now building uh, programs that are helping other individuals free them in their their own uh, struggles that they may have with money. So uh, this conversation was really a chance for us to just chop it up, learn a little bit about the bougie banker, learn a little bit about her grind, and most importantly, talk to uh, you all about the money mindset. So that's enough of me talking. Let's get into this conversation with my guest here in the grind seat, the bougie banker, right here on Behind the Grind. All right, well, welcome back to another episode of Behind the Grind. I am your host, Sherrod Shuler, and I'm so glad you guys are back with me again today. Listen, I am excited. A few weeks ago, we dropped a, a episode where we were talking about real estate and millennials, and I said, let me get back to this money bag, and let me talk to somebody who knows a little something about finances and money, especially for the millennials today. Uh, So I went and I was out here on Clubhouse and I saw somebody out here in these Clubhouse streets really doing that thing, really dropping some knowledge. And I asked, I reached out to her and asked her to get on the program and and by my luck, she accepted. And so I'm excited of who we have in the grind seat today. No other than Raquel Bougie Banker.
1: Welcome (laughs) to Behind the Grind. Hey, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Like your, your energy is just amazing. So thank you for having me. And I'm excited to talk to you about this Monday. Uh, I kind of teased you a little earlier before we started
0: recording, you know, I know I reached out to you a little ahead of time and, um, uh, and tried to get you on the program, but I found out you kind of like a celebrity low key in these streets. (laughs) (laughs) Okay.
1: I actually met uh, Anthony O'Neill in Clubhouse as well, so just some amazing connections. I'm so thankful. I'm so grateful. And then I got to meet you as well. So, yeah, let's do it. What's up? So, for those of you who are
0: probably not on Clubhouse or anything like Clubhouse, you're seeing you're missing out on some great uh, opportunity to connect and network. But let's get to it. Right today, we're talking about. Like I said, I want to go right to the bag. Like I said, I was talking about real estate before. But I want to just talk about the bag because, you know, many of us are struggling out here in the streets on how to either uh, make this money and keep it, how to keep all this money. So I wanted to get somebody who has a little more expertise on uh, how we can navigate through these things. But before we do that, Raquel, can you tell uh, my audience a little bit about your backstory, a little bit about, you know, who is Raquel? Who is this bougie banker that we all know?
1: (laughs) Yeah, so... Honestly, I never thought I'd be in finance, literally ever. I don't even like math. The reason why I majored in criminal justice as my undergrad was because we only had to take one semester of math. Wait a minute. You're so, a criminal justice? <laughs> wow. Yes. Um, I have an okay. undergrad in criminal justice and then I have my, my MBA. So um, when I graduated from Savannah State University, I became a correctional officer. And, um, during that time, I ended up pregnant with my daughter, but there was a fight that broke out in the hall and I was the only officer in the hall at that time. So I broke up the fight thinking safety first and ended up, um, bedridden because one of the inmates fell on my stomach. So from there, um, I moved to Atlanta, Georgia, and I went from, you know, having a career, just finishing school and all of that to now being just mommy. Just just you know, a stay-at-home mom and there's nothing wrong with that, but for me I just felt like I spent all this time developing for my career and now it's all just focused on my spouse's schedule and my children's schedule and I really was starting to lose identity of self. So, um wanting to go back to work, you know, we started trying to price out childcare and it was just too expensive. So, I still wanted to get out the house and I was like, you know what? How about I just go work at the daycare where we want our daughter to go? So there I was working at the daycare with a degree making $7 and 25 cents an hour.
0: Right. Don't slide past that because that's real. That's real talk. Many of us don't talk about (laughs) that, but sometimes
1: we have to make those moves. But yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, and And so I started just kind of paying attention to management because I was like, this, this cannot be that difficult to do. So I started like watching what the managers were doing, kind of just questioning the owner and just, you know, picking their brains. So I said, you know what? I'm smart enough to do this myself. So, um, on the weekends I was taking a CDA certification course and, um, The checks that I was getting, my checks were $344. And so I was taking parts of that check and I was going to Goodwill and I was purchasing the things that I would need to have my own in home daycare. So eventually I was able to transition away from making $7.25 an hour using those $344 checks um, to purchase the things that I needed, opened up my own in home daycare. Fast forward a few years later, I was able to open the first women's only gym with childcare in my city. And I did all of this without a loan, without financing. Um, I hustled, I grind, I did everything necessary that I could do to get the money up. That was legal, of course, to get the money up, to open my business. And um, at that point in time, I was just a real, I was very, very successful. I had a 1700 foot square building. I had seven employees um, and things were going great. Wait, wait. Pause. Pause.
0: You had 17 employees, so this is not just a few, you know, few people or solo business you got going on here. This is With,
1: 17 no. employees. Wow. <laughs> I had seven. I oh, had seven employees. But still seven, right? Yes. <laughs> but it was seven. It was a 1,700 square foot building. Got
0: it. Got it. Yeah. So
1: um, it had it had a child care facility, a child care area. Um, we had free weights. We had classes. It was. A beautiful location and so you know when you think life is just going good yeah you know when you think it's just going good something just all life just has to happen okay so I'm headed home one day and this older gentleman I don't know if he fell asleep I don't know what happened but he ran a red light and he was driving a truck and he t-boned me so there I am 16 spinal injections later after being in a neck brace for almost six months, I couldn't work. I couldn't work out. I couldn't do anything for a year. So that entire time, my accounts are just bleeding because I'm like, I worked so hard to get this. You know, you just work really, really hard to get stuff. You just don't want to let it go. So I was still paying my employees, still paying. I was still paying my employees, still paying my lease, still paying utilities. And my account is just bleeding because even at that time, the attorney was like, hey, Mm -hmm. don't file for unemployment or anything like that because it's going to affect your case. And I'm like, (laughs) "Okay." so we go from a two income earning household to now a one income earning household. And when you are accustomed to living life a certain way, having that decrease in income impacts you severely. So not only did I go $30,000 in debt with my gym, now we're at the points where we need food stamps. We don't qualify for food stamps. We're right at that borderline. You know how they say, like, your household number and the amount? And I will fill out that application, like, every week. i like, come on, food stamps. Come wow, on. <laughs> wow, You're experiencing this. Wow. And never, never got, never got them. So I ended up becoming a very good cook. We were a chicken and rice family for a long time. Um, and, you know, during that space, I was like, okay, well, entrepreneurship isn't for me. Like, this is, did not work out. So I need to go back to work. So there I am working all these different jobs again, you know, working at hotels, um, the front desk of a senior living facility, selling life insurance, doing all these things again, just trying to bring in income. And eventually, I realized, I was like, you know what? I made a lot of money as an entrepreneur. And granted, I have all these hustles now. I'm still bringing in some good income. But why am I still struggling? So I started watching the YouTube videos, downloading the templates, signing up for the workshops. And I would be excited for like a week two weeks of like, yes, I'm going to get my money. This is, yes, this is it. And I had to realize eventually that if these things are working for other people, but they're not working for me, the problem is probably me. And so I had to really get an understanding for my relationship with money. I had to fix that at the core of it and not try to band-aid it with numbers Cause I think a lot of people try to fix their financial situations by just looking at the numbers, but you really have to fix yeah. the root of that problem. Yeah. And so well, that,
0: that's a good point. Let me just make that point though. Cause a lot of us, we think if we get more money, it's just going to change the situation, but you're, you're lead, alluding to that. We've got to get down to the core. Is that what I'm getting Correct. At, you have to at? fix
1: it okay. at the foundation. Wow. Yeah. A lot of people try to band aid their finances and this is why we have six figure earners with six figure expenses. This is good. Mm-hmm. And so um, once I had a reality check with myself, once I got down to the core of why I operated with money the way that I did, once I uh, identified what my triggers were and started creating healthy boundaries around those triggers, then I was ready to actually budget. Then I was ready to actually stick to a financial plan. So once um, I started doing that, you know, people can they can look at you and they can tell when you're doing better financially financially. It's one thing to paint the picture, but it's another thing yeah. when people be like, yeah, "You're doing all right. You, you must be girl, doing something here. <laughs> you drinking water, or something?" What, what you... <laughs> yes. yes. So, um, I started helping other people for free. I was just like, "Hey, yeah, girl, I got you. Let's go." Um, and then it eventually, my friends were like, "You're really good at this. You should, you know, become a banker. You should look at being into into the finance space." I was like, you know what? That's not a bad idea. That that sounds good. Because even though, again, I was still thinking entrepreneurship is not for me.
0: Yeah.
1: And I was still working side hustles, just managing my money. So I became a banker. Loved it. Loved being a banker. Every part of it. I literally got to sit down with people from a variety of different age groups, different cultures. And I wasn't just helping them. I was helping them. I was studying them. Mm -hmm. I was studying their habits, as it related to their money. I was studying what the successful people did versus what those who are living paycheck to paycheck were doing. I had those conversations. I provided resources. Like I really went out of the box as far as just sitting down and providing banking services. So I'm like, I'm set. I have a good nine to five. I'm off on the weekends. Benefits are good. Like I was I was happy and I finished my masters and all of that um while I was working at the bank. So yeah, so let me tell you, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. So one day my boss gives me a call and she's like, Hey Raquel. I'm like, hey, she's like, can you come in early? Um, can you come in early the next day? You know, I need you to do some stuff or something like that. And I'm thinking yeah, we're short staff. You need some extra help. I was like, Yeah, I'll be there. She's like, Okay, great. I need you to be here at eight AM? I'm like, Stay less. I'm there. Got you. So I'm going to work. <clears throat> I have on these um, sparkly red like um, okay. antlers because around okay, Christmas it. Okay. time. <laughs> so here I am, it's the Holly jolly, like <laughs> going into work. And I walk in the building, and it's like her, and it's the other mm-hmm. manager.
0: And I'm like, hey, y'all, let's,
1: you know, mm-hmm. we'll be doing. And she was like, I need to talk to you. And I'm like, okay, I'm still, I was so green. I was like, yeah, okay. So I go in the office and she has a stack of papers sitting on her desk and she slides them to me and she says, I don't even know how to tell you this. And I was like, what? Like, mind you, this is around Christmas time and I have mm-hmm. three children. So... She was like, the company has made some decisions. Um, there's nothing that you did. This is totally out of our control, but we have to let you go. When I tell you, I boo hoo, snot nosed, <laughs> <laughs> please don't let me go, cried at my job. I was, wow. I was, I loved it there. And they were like, you know, um, you're going to have to clean out your desk, you're going to have to go. And they're hugging me. They're like really just trying to console me. You could might as well just yeah. say my pet died yeah. or something. It was that. It was horrible. So <clears throat> I'm leaving and I'm like, can I at least say bye to my friends? Like I'm well, hurt. No, I, I'm laughing. <laughs> and not, not
0: to interrupt your story. I'm laughing. But I've spent years in banking as well. And I've been on both ends of that spectrum, right? I've been on the end of the spectrum of I've had to have that conversation. And I've also been on the end where they've slid the papers to me. And so I, I walk, as you're telling this story, I didn't even know this story existed here. But as you're telling the story, I relate totally to it. But it, it is devastating because you're right. You walk into these situations and you're green, right? You don't know what's going on. You, you, you've you been putting in your work. You've been doing your thing. And, and, and it's a company decision, like you said. And it's just like, whoa, the timing could be, you know, whatever. But
1: yeah, it was horrible. <laughs> so I later found out that, you know, it it was nothing that I did. Right, they let right. go of 70,000 bankers company wide due to the pandemic so uh, so yeah later found out that it was really had nothing to do with me Um, they let go of 70,000 bankers company wide due to Mm -hmm. the pandemic so you know I cried all the way home um, and when I got home I wiped my tears and I said you know what I've already been helping people I can do this I can do this. So I really just went full force with my business. I created a phenomenal program that has helped women go from living paycheck to paycheck to saving thousands of dollars that they've never saved before. i so proud of them. And then I have a new the same program is relaunching on July 1st. And I've been helping women one on one. And it's just it's been a wonderful, Man, wonderful experience. I, again,
0: I, you know, I heard some parts of your story, but I didn't know that part about the, uh, you know, the firing, like I just mentioned. But your, your journey is interesting because uh, it, it seems like, you know, obviously you've been through a lot and I, I get that. But you, for some reason, you keep bouncing back up, you keep hustling, you keep grinding. So I got to ask that question. what What is that grind about and what's, what's, what causes you to just bounce back up and just do your thing? Because, you know, some people wallow in there, you know, when they have that situation, they, they say, woe is me? You know, I can't do it. But I mean, you're, you're demonstrating something totally different.
1: I knew somebody was going to ask me this question and I was like I should have a really really good answer. Um so <laughs> It's something that's just in me. I don't it's not anything that I can okay. explain, but you know when you feel like there's something greater in you to accomplish. And mm. at some point it's beyond the thought of self. Like, when you start doing things that impact other people's lives, it just makes you want to do it that much more. Like, even though I have three children, um, and I was working full time, and I was running a business, and I was finishing my master's at the same time, I was still helping people. And it's like, even like every time that something has happened to me in my life, it's just like, Okay, this is either going to make you or this is going to break you. And I try to ask myself, like, what lesson can I learn from this situation? But at the end of the day, you just feel something inside of you and you have to dig in it until that feeling is uncovered. If you're someone who's working a nine to five, which... I'm totally not against, but if you're someone who works a nine to five and you have this feeling inside of you that there's something greater that needs to come out, you need to go discover what that is. And I think people, especially when it comes to entrepreneurship, they're so afraid of failing that it keeps them from even starting. But if you guys have listened, I've worked so many side hustles. I have done so many different things in entrepreneurship, but I landed where I was supposed to be because I wasn't afraid to fail at trying. And so I think that if you're listening to this and you're on the edge of like, Hey, I want to do this, but I'm not ready yet. I want to do this, but I still need some more certifications. The only person that needs to certify you in anything that you need to do is God and yourself. That's it. So if that feeling is in you, Go do it. And if you fail, what did you learn from that failure? And what do you need to take with you to the next level when you try it again?
0: Man, I am so glad you articulated that very well. And I think that I think that'd be very beneficial to most of us that are listening, because you're right. We, we have to take chances. Some of us play that, that role where we're, we're like, well, I don't want to fail. I don't want to look stupid. I don't want to fail. But you are showing us how you can just reach out there and the doors open. And so let's kind of just talk about that. So we even after the job, so apparently the job ended, right? But now you're doing this bougie banker right thing and it's opened up so many doors. Yeah. So tell us about that. How how has it been now? You know, that door is closed per se, but now you're into this place of this bougie bank. And then also help us get to understand how did you come up with this name bougie banker? I- <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: okay. <laughs> So I was trying to come up with a finance name, right? Um, And I asked the other bankers. I was like, y'all, can you help me come up with a name? And I was like, maybe the Bougie Budgeter. Because at that time, I was really just focused on budgeting. Okay. And so I had that name for a while. My YouTube started out with that name. But there is another person in the finance world that trademarked it. And I didn't know that. Uh So she reached out. She let me know. I was like, you know what, girl? You got it. Okay. I wish I wish you the best, you know. Yeah. Good name. Yeah. And so um I went back to the other bankers and I was like, y'all, I can't use that name. Can you help me come up with another one? Right. And they were like, "Well, you shouldn't change bougie because you are bougie." And I was like, "Well, <laughs> so keep so, that there, they said basically." <laughs> yeah, they were like, "Just leave that. But they were like, "Well, you're a banker, so why not the bougie banker?" And I was like, "I don't like it." It's OK, but we'll rock with it. And it, it stuck. And now I love it. And it really is making me just stand out in this in this finance space. Oh, I
0: think it fits really well. Right. And this brand of yours is definitely, you know, if, we, if you follow her on IG or any of her platforms, she's all day dropping nuggets on different financial things. But this that that draws you in, obviously, because. Let's be real. We still want to be able to look a little fly. We still want to be able to, you know, have nice things. And sometimes, you know, in this financial space, space we sometimes think, okay, if I'm going to be a um, finance or, or, or watch my finances, it's going to be so much sacrifice. I'm going to have to lose so much. I'm going to have to, and there are moments that you have to go through that, but do you have to live a lifestyle of shopping at Goodwill or, or the thrifty store? Or is there a way to still kind of enjoy life? And 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 make money, you know, and do all of that.
1: Yeah. Um. So, <laughs> just so you know, when we were when we were on that chicken and rice diet, yeah. okay. Yeah. Um. Goodwill was also our um our Linux mall. Well, goodwill right. and
0: no was our. Goodwill. No, <laughs> not to Goodwill.
1: <laughs> but um, but but I'll tell you this: my mom had to remind me. My mom had to remind me that. Just because you may be in not the most favorable situation doesn't mean you can't still look nice. And I was like, Mom, they have nice things in Goodwill. You just have to look. Hello? (laughs) She was like, baby, if you don't take your behind the bras (laughs) and go find you some dress for less clothes. (laughs) So, um, yeah, you can be bougie. You can be bougie on a budget. Um, It's all about determining what you're able to afford instead of saying um, with this check, with this whole check, I'm going to go experience this and do this. And then with this next check, I'm going to use this for my bills. People put themselves in situations that they don't need to be in. And it's a very hard cycle to get out of because that instant gratification in that moment feels so good that it ends up becoming like an addiction.
0: Oh, that's good. That's good. So what I'm hearing is, yes, long as I'm able to manage it, I can have me a, a, a J or t- get some Js or two if I want to, right? <laughs> yes. So let's let's talk about that. So obviously, your audience is I'm assuming mainly millennial women, or or is it a broader audience than that? But.
1: It's mainly women between twenty five and okay. forty. Is okay. what I
0: find. And so, what, what are you? What are the things that you're normally um, finding out, and what are you sharing with uh, uh, the women that you're talking to about finance? What, what's happening today with the with this age range, uh, with money and finance?
1: Most of the women that I talk to have no idea where their money is going. Um, they just know that they are working too hard not to have anything to show okay. for it. And they feel overwhelmed and is usually related to student loan debt or auto loans. Um, or they have a goal that they're trying to reach and they don't know how to get there.
0: And do you? So do you have like a, a coaching programs or things that you can help them in, in this process? Or is there or how does that work?
1: Yeah. So there's three things that I offer at this current moment. Mm-hmm. I have my one on ones where you can either get a custom budget that is completely tailored to your lifestyle um, or you can do the one-on-one the the custom budget with the accountability calls, which is still a one-on-one service. Um, And then I have my program where it's a 12 week program that I take women from living paycheck to paycheck, not having a clear understanding of their relationship with money, taking them through that whole process and holding them accountable to the goals that they set for themselves that program is yeah. amazing. And then um, the last thing that I offer is my mastering your money mindset class. And this class is taught internationally. I love it. Actually, all of my services oh, are international. Really? Yes, I found out oh, last you're international. Week. I found out last week that I am in 32 countries. Thirty-two different awesome. countries are doing business with my um, brand. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Hey, so you really are free time out of these. Streets. I didn't know it. I, <laughs> let me tell you, because I have a, I'm doing this. I'm I'm doing a, like an official launch of uh, yeah. of something in July, and okay. so I was kind of going through and packaging my sponsorship packages together. Yeah. So I had to yeah. gather my data, and I was looking. I was like. I'm in. I was like, I've been this many countries, and I put it on my stories and everything because you know people like to see receipts. So the receipts yeah, are there yes, if you need a receipt. Yes. But I was just like, wow, that's amazing, man. and I'm just, I'm so grateful.
0: Man, so let me ask you. Let's, let, I'm gonna ask you a little personal here. Before you, before the bank, did you have these type of numbers when you were in the bank, or is this, this happened after the bank, post bank?
1: My did numbers you... in the bank were. To the city of the bank that I worked in, okay, and all I did was take the skill set that I learned yeah. while working at the bank, and I mastered it because I studied people, yeah, and I offered resources to people, and I was able to det- like study what the results were from the things that I've helped them with, mm. and then it's like once I left the bank and once I didn't have any legal ties to the bank anymore, I could just go so much oh, deeper. Man. So the transformations that these women go through is. It's,
0: it's, it's interesting because you you said that last portion of the mindset, right? I, mm-hmm. that, let's talk to about that, because like you said before, um, money is one thing, but the budget, the mindset is another thing and obviously you're able to do that now outside of the bank. Cause in the bank, obviously you don't have an opportunity to sit b- be in front of somebody <laughs> and talk to them about mindset. You may give them some tips, you may give them this, that, or the other, but you're really able to go there. What are some things, What are maybe if you can help all of us, you know, whether it's uh, the, the millennial women or men, what are some mindset things that many of us are, are that's got us trapped? Like what are some things that kind of got us, you know, stuck in our space of with money or our relationship with money per se?
1: Most people don't even know why they operate with money the way that they do. And um, when you get an understanding of the reason why you're operating with the way you do, the um, what your triggers are, and creating like healthy boundaries around those, then that's when you're ready to move to the next thing. So as far as the mindset is concerned, um, in my class, one of the things that we do is we go into your past, we go into your childhood, so what were the, the, what were the conversations around money in your household? How did your dad behave when he had money? What was the language in which he talked to you about money? Um, what was your first memory of being taught savings and credit? And what was your first memory of debt? And the same thing with your mom. All of these things play into how we interact with money as adults, much like if we tied into our relationships, you know how they say you end up usually with someone like your mom or you end up with someone like your dad, that's because there's conscious and subconscious conditioning. And so whether it's a good behavior or a bad behavior as it's related to how they're behaving with their money or how they're operating with their money, you're still absorbing it. So if you constantly hear your parent telling you positive affirmations, when you go into adulthood, you can identify that that feels good to you. But on the reverse side, if you're constantly being fed negativity, you're being conditioned that that is what you're supposed to be. um, That's what you're supposed to be told. So when you go into adulthood, even if your spouse is talking to you in a negative way, that's normal to you. So you become used to it until you realize that that doesn't feel good. The same thing applies with money. If you are in a household when you're a child and your parents are constantly arguing about money or they're constantly spending and never have and you're living in the cycle of having and struggling, having and struggling, guess what's usually going to happen when you become an adult? You're going to repeat that exact same pattern. So until you really understand at the foundation why you're operating the way that you are and some people need to go back and talk to their parents.
0: So that's a good point. Uh, So some of us do need to go back and talk to our parents. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that, though?
1: Yeah, you when you're a child, you're only understanding it from a child's perspective. So a lot of the things that your parents have done uh, while you've been growing up may not have made sense to you, but it doesn't change how it affects you as an adult. So now that you are an adult and you have those responsibilities, now you can go back and have those conversations. Hopefully, if your parents are still alive, you can have those conversations and and get a better understanding from a familiar place. So that way you can say, "Okay, well, these are the things that I need to work on with myself. You know, people don't want to attach that there's emotion to money. But. There is an emotional attachment that we have to money. There's a psychological attachment that we have to money, and both of those things can affect us how we look physically, um how we operate mentally, all of those things. So it's really important that you get a hold of that foundation.
0: Man, you hit so much w- you know with that whole thought. And and and, and I like it because again, I'm, I'm I'm going back to my banker days too as well, right? The banker days, we used to do financial literacy sh- workshops. We would go in places. But you're limited in what you can share, right? You're limited. You can't really go there. You can't really talk about, you can't suggest, you know, about parents and mindset. And I think I like that's what you're doing here. I think you're able to 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 thread that needle of where the foundation really is and really help people. And you don't have to worry about, uh, okay, I can't say this to a certain group of people the people who you're talking to, they understand, they realize that and they're listening to you and it's, I'm assuming it's helping them uh, really uh, correct some things in order to have that full relationship with money. Would you say?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think in any, in any job you're limited on what you can really do. And so the fact that I can dig so many layers deep with people, and really get them to understand that this is not just a numbers thing. There's other layers that we have to uncover. There's things that you have to learn about yourself that you may not have even thought you needed to learn. Uh, and so once that picture is painted, then we can start moving on to the manifestations. Then we can start moving on to the visions and the goals, and then we can start putting some numbers attached to them.
0: Man, that's, that's what's up. Well, so I'm so glad, you know, we had this conversation. I think, um, Money is a very hot topic. It's obviously in our community, sometimes it's taboo. And so sometimes we don't talk about it. You know, a lot of times our parents, you know, because of their, maybe they're handling with money. They don't necessarily share it with us. But I, what I am seeing in this newer generation, and you may be someone that champions this as well, you know, as we're starting to raise our children, a lot of us are instilling some of those uh, correct behaviors now. Uh, so before we get to, uh, before we get out of here, is there things that you could say that uh, some of us parents can do to help um, our children when it comes to making sure that they have the right mindset or 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 prepare them to do. De-
1: yes, so I have three daughters: a thirteen-year-old, an eight-year-old, and a five-year-old. And um, one of the things that I'm very peculiar about is just making sure that they have an understanding for value, because I think as parents we want to make sure our kids have everything that we either didn't have or just make sure that they have everything that we had as children, which can as much as we want to spoil them as much as we want to on them you know um some of those things are not best for our children so we have to make sure that we're instilling a value uh, mindset that's attached to the things that they have so i'm a firm believer that children shouldn't be paid for chores i know people are going to be right. like Bleh. but i feel like they shouldn't be paid for something they're supposed to do but i feel like if they want to Earn something that that's different. Now they are feeling a a value attachment to whatever it is that they're earning. Because what you find is when a parent is just buying, 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 buying for their child, the child is just going to continue to want more and more and more and more and more. But if they have to work for it, now they're like, "Wow, I earned this. I did this." And so one, they're going to start asking for stuff a lot less. But two, they're going to value and appreciate the thing that they have more. So especially when it comes to money, the question that I get a lot is, how do I teach my child to value money? Start talking to them about it. Make your children a part of the process. The issue that I find with parents with teenagers is that we don't teach them money. Money is not taught in schools. They might know algebra, they might know calculations, but the actual understanding of finances. It's taught at home. So if you have a teenager, one of the things that I would suggest is make them a part of the conversations that's related to the bills, not fussing at them because of the lights, not telling them, turn all the lights off in the house. You use too much of my power, but making them a part of the conversation. Like, Hey y'all come here, baby. Look, see how much the light bill is this month. Okay. So this is what I'm thinking about doing. What do you think Make them a part of the conversation. My 13-year-old, she pays the bills in my house with my debit card. And she does that because she's able to see the cost of these things, not for me to to talk down to her and say my bills are so high because of you, but so that she understands that when she's 18, this is the cost of living. A lot of the times we put our children out into this world before they're ready to actually be out there. So they have a decision. They can either go to school and take on student loan debt, most of us, Or they can go get a job, which oftentimes isn't paying them what they're worth anyway. And then now they're finding themselves struggling. But what if we make finances a part of the conversation, especially with our teenagers, so that by the time they are 18, they have a real world understanding for the cost of survival to make that decision, not emotionally, but logically, not saying I'm 18, I'm grown, I'm moving out. But wow, this is really expensive and I'm not making that much money. I probably shouldn't make this decision right now. So I think it's really important just to make your children a part of that conversation with my with my eight year old and my five year old. We have something called the mommy bank. And so what the mommy bank is, is that they go and they can, you know, they earn money for doing various tasks and they get change and all those type of things. And what they do is they take that change. They bring it to me when it equals a dollar. We put it in the mommy bank and they get a physical dollar and then they take that money and they divide it up into an investment. They don't, they, it's a jar. Okay. But it's, it's the conditioning because if you condition your child to think about investments, even if it's just the word, what do you think is going to start being their driving force as they get older? So we have an investment jar. We have a savings jar. We have a spending jar. OK. And so that's what I do with my eight year old and my five year old. So now they're thinking of I need to go to the bank. Right. I need to go to the bank. They go to the bank. They split their money up. Now, when we go out to the store, if they want to take money out of their spending jar. They can spend whatever they want out of their spending jar. But they know that they have money put away for investments and know they have money put away for savings.
0: Man. Well, Raquel, <laughs> bougie banker, you have covered a lot. Today, uh, this is a great conversation. Um, enjoyed hearing your story. Like I said, I, it fits with the grind because again, you've been out here grinding for a minute, and you don't let the uh, situ- any situation you but you've been bouncing back and doing your thing. Uh, but before we get out of here, I like to uh, play a little game. <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> and, uh oh. And since we're talking about money and finances, uh, I'm gonna say, and I and I kind of kind of stole this from somebody. Uh, I can't think of them right offhand. I would give them credit if I can, but. About three uh, business books. Um, You have a a decision to uh, buy a book, uh, borrow a book, or burn a book is is the game, right? So the books uh, that you have to choose from is uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, right? (laughs) Uh, Think and Grow Rich by uh, Napoleon Hill. And uh, the other one is The Millionaire Next Door. Which book are you uh, buying? Which book are
1: you borrowing? And which book are you buying? Uh, I'm definitely going to buy Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I feel like that is a book that shocks a lot of people and really gets them thinking differently with their finances. Borrowing the Millionaire Next Door. And the only reason why I say I would burn, think, and grow rich is because it can be a very difficult book to get through for people. Thinking Grow Rich is a phenomenal book, but it is very boring. It's literally like the same concept repeated different ways over and, over and over and over and over and over again. So, but but it's a great it's a great book. I don't want to take away from it, but um, I think that yeah what I said, I said what I I said.
0: said said. And that's good because you only, you have the three options and you had to make a decision and I love your choice of why you made the decisions that you made. So spot on. Thank you for playing the game with me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. welcome. Oh, before, 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 before. I have a free resource vault um, in the link section of my Instagram bio. So Rich Dad, Poor Dad is actually like the number one book that I airdrop to people. Um, All of these books that are in that resource vault, you can they're free access to. So you just click on the photo of the PDF you want to read and it uploads the entire book for you. So um, things like Rich Dad, Poor Dad are in there, Millionaire Success Habits, all of those, those are free PDFs for you guys.
0: Really? All right. So she coming in bearing gifts the Bougie Banker. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, again, you kind of mentioned it, but we just want to always do that. What's all your handles? How can people follow you? If they have it, they need to go to Clubhouse and listen to you. I don't know if you're still rocking there on Clubhouse, but they got to do that. But tell people how they can go about finding you.
1: The best way to find me is my Instagram. It's never going to change. The Bougie Banker underscore. Nice. Nice.
0: Man, so we have had a phenomenal conversation. Um, man, I again, I'm so uh, thankful and so honored that you again uh, sh- uh, came on our pro- platform today and shared. Like I said, you're somewhat like a celebrity, so kudos.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm accepting that. I'm accepting that. <laughs> so
0: big ups to you, and, and, and appreciate and, and and you know love the work that you're doing. Keep doing that work. I mean, obviously, you're talking to a, a group of people and a generation of people, and you are sharing truth and knowledge out there in these streets. And we need more of that, really, to be honest with you. And so keep doing what you're doing, keep grinding, keep hustling uh, in that aspect of helping everybody uh, with their financial knowledge. So,
1: Thank you. And I wish you the absolute best with your podcast. This is amazing that this is what you're doing, Um, and especially highlighting people who are on the grind, because it is not easy out here. It is very much easier to do a nine to five than it is to put forty fifty sixty hours seventy hours in your business a week and then some people to work and then come home and be on the grind so it's not it's not easy, and I think it's amazing that you're highlighting um different people for their talents.
0: appreciate that all right, everybody, please, if you enjoyed anything in this conversation, if you heard anything that was some nuggets, please share this episode. And until the next time, this is Sharad, and this is Behind the Grind. That was so good.